0: Message was going on when I was little, trying to make it from the balcony all the way to the front through the chandeliers, swinging them. So I hope I didn't put a bad image in your mind, but that's what I thought about a lot when I was a little kid. When I was awake in church, and then we were in choir with Graham Smith and Jim Watson and leading us in choir, and me and my twin brother, my sister who's here, uh, she could sing and me and my brother couldn't. So every time the uh, musical would show up, they'd ask me and my brother to do something in the drama, so we wouldn't sing, but. I would sit on risers. I remember standing on risers over here for some performance, and I've been told because I rocked a lot growing up, and I still rock a lot when I'm studying, and I heard that I got to rocking back and forth while we were singing, and one of us, I was told it was me, fell off the riser during the, the, the program, but I don't remember that, so I think it was my twin brother that happened to him. But a lot went on, but on January the 25th, 1981, I was 10 years old. I walked down this aisle. And I took the pastor by the hand and I prayed the sinner's prayer and I got baptized on February the 1st of 1981. They gave me a survival kit. I remember getting that little survival kit. I liked the cartoons in it, but I was still lost. And for the next 12 years, I, I grew up in this church, Set where you're sitting, heard the sermon, sang the songs, was, man, it was in R.A.'s with Billy Russell up on the second floor. Dr. Ronnie Kent taught me in college Bible study, and it's a great, great church to grow up in, but I was lost. Graduated carry in pre-med, and Went out to two bars the night before. Ropers and Senior Frog. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The altar will be open at the end. And on Sunday, December the 20th, 1992, after being in those two places that Saturday night, I came in the back, sat down early for service. God got a hold of my heart. I couldn't wait for the service to come to the end so I could come and come down the same mile I'd came down when I was 10. 12 years later, be able to tell a pastor, I I don't need to say a prayer. I've, I've, I've surrendered my life to Jesus and I know it's real. And on January the 3rd, 1993, I got baptized for real. First time, I just got wet. So I've been baptized here Twice took the second time for it to take for me. And then August the 1st of 1993, just six months later, I stood here in a gray double-breasted suit, if that doesn't date it. And I surrendered my life to full-time Christian ministry. And I've been doing it ever since. So when I I preach today, this this service in this church means a lot to me. Because it's where I, I went from Death to life right back there. And if I died in those 12 years in between, they'd have preached my funeral, and they'd have said, oh, he was here every time the doors were open. He was in RA's. He was in Sunday school. He came back Sunday night. He was here all the time. They sang in the choir, and they would have said, oh, he's in heaven. But if I'd have died between 10 and 22, I'd have spent eternity separated from God, growing up in a church as a lost, baptized church member. So if you hear anything I say today, hear this, church membership, baptism won't get you there. It's got to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've, I've made a lot of mistakes since that time. And when I came back to Hattiesburg in October of 2018, I came back on a Wednesday night and I was struggling, made big mistakes in my life and. I needed spiritual direction. I needed to get my bearings back, and so I walked in, and some people were practicing orchestra. And I walked in, and about six or seven people said, "Services in the chapel, sir. Wednesday night service in the chapel, sir." And I'm, that's great. I'm coming to the sanctuary. I'll be back in the chapel in just a little bit. And I walked in, and I walked all the way back there, and I sat where I sat the day I got saved, and I took my phone out and I took a picture from right back there. Right up here, and there's one lady sitting right there, and some people over here. Christ, I still got the picture on my phone. And every time I struggle, every time I have the devil doubt about, throw a doubt in my heart about my salvation, I go back to that picture because I was, I remember where I was sitting the day I got saved. And I just want to ask you a question this morning: Do you have a place to go back to? Do you have a point to come from to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And so. 10,500 days ago to the day I got saved here. I did the math last night. 10,500 days, I've been waiting to be asked to preach back here. And Scott Hanbury and I were writing a devotional together. It's called The Christmas Presence. It starts November 15th and goes all the way to Christmas Day. He wrote half of it. I wrote the other half of it. He'll tell you a lot more about it later. If you really like the day's devotion, I wrote it. If you don't like it, he wrote it. Scott, I know you're watching. I know Scott Hanbury, like the back of my hand, he's watching the service. You know he's watching the service as he's headed to his cruise. No, Scott's a great pastor, a great communicator, and a great writer. But he asked me to preach today, and I said, that's awesome. I'd love to preach to the church that I got saved in and surrendered to the ministry in. And he said, oh, by the way, can you preach? We're in a series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, Oh, okay. Well, what's the text? Ecclesiastes 9. Okay. And I go grab my Bible, and it's on death. So thank you, Scott, for the, giving me this topic today. But the more I study this topic, the more I know God ordained this moment because it's something we're all going to deal with. And if I didn't get my life right with Jesus Christ and make my decision right with Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be ready for death. And so I want to give you this message. I entitle it today, The Destiny of Death the destiny of death. There's an old poem by an English poet and it's entitled Graveyards and the first line goes like this. Oh, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? I almost called the message today the D word that nobody wants to say. Nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody wants to say, hey, one day we're gonna leave this earth. One day we're gonna pass on to eternity somewhere. This is not all of life there is. And I love Ecclesiastes. It's this wisdom literature. And wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Biblical wisdom is the application of the knowledge of God. And the more we know about God and the more we know about who he is, then it changes who we are and how we live our lives. And so the preacher Solomon, he's going to say in Ecclesiastes 38 times, he's going to say, meaningless or this is vanity depending on your translation. And we have a God who can take meaningless and turn it into a miracle. We have a God who can take what we think is vanity and bring it to victory. And then 29 times he uses this phrase, under the sun, under the sun. So we have two basic choices in how we live this life. We can live over the sun from an eternal perspective, and we can live what Scripture calls a fruitful life, or we can exist under the sun and, and not figure out what life is because we don't see God in all of it. And we can live life under the sun, a temporary outlook, and live a foolish life. And the difference in the choice you make is in reference to the Son of God. How you view Jesus makes all the difference And so I want you to see this, normally I'll read the scripture and then make application, but I want to make application today and then read the scripture. Three things I want to share with you today on this date that we all have with death, the destiny of death, and the first one is this, life is unpredictable. Man, if anything, today's society shows us is that life is unpredictable. The pastor that I served with at Hasbro Community Church, he's got six funerals Six funerals in the next seven days. We had two pass away in the church I pastored in Alabama for 15 years this past week of COVID. I mean, we live in a life that's so unpredictable. And here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. This, too, I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. I mean, life is in God's hands, and the, the Bible says that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, what you can't do today is you can't say, well, if if I live the way God wants me to live, then God's going to bless my life. What I can't stand when I watch TV sometimes is these preachers that get up and say, hey, I want you to understand that if you do this and this and this for God, God's just going to pour out earthly blessings on you. Moses, my, my son, he he's here this morning, and we adopted him from the DRC, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I'm telling you, some of the, the, the people that love Jesus the most that I've ever met in my life have not lived in the United States of America. They lived in third world countries and they just have a simple faith for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if your theology won't work in the whole world, it's not biblical theology. I mean, they love God and they pray to God and they serve God, but, but they don't have water to drink. They don't have their next meal to eat, but they've got eternity prepared for them in heaven. And so you cannot look at your circumstances and say, I'm going to base who I think God is on how my circumstances are going in life. I mean, you may love God more than anybody else and go through some of the toughest times, but remember, this is not all of life there is. This is just temporary. This is just under the sun. We're going to a place, Jesus, the Son of God, is there. And life is predictable. But no matter what happens, God is still on the throne and God still makes himself known. No matter what you're going through, God has not advocated his rightful position as the ruler and authority. No matter what happens, he's still in charge, and he still loves you, and he still has a plan for you. In fact, I'm I'm writing, if you're going through the Bible studies, I'm writing the small group material you're using in your Bible studies on Ecclesiastes, and I came across this statement when I was doing this for Pastor Scott. This statement really rocked my world. Life wouldn't be so hard if it wasn't so daily. I mean, if we didn't have to do it every single day, it wouldn't be so tough, right? If we could just bow up one day a week and then rest the other six, right? But man, life every single day comes at you daily, and it's so unpredictable. And a lot of times we will look at our circumstances, and we'll look at at Jesus through the lens of our circumstances and try to figure God out. And we'll feel like God is so far away because all we can see is our circumstances. We've got to refocus, We've got to put Jesus at the forefront of everything and and we've got to let Jesus be the lens on how we see everything. And Jesus is what we look through to see our circumstances. And when you look through Jesus at your circumstances, circumstances don't seem that big. We've got a God who can do anything. Isn't it amazing that we trust God to forgive all of our sin? to cast it as far as the east is from the west, to put it behind his back, to remember it no more, to throw it into the depths of the sea, And and I love what Corey Ten Boom says, and put up a no fishing sign. We trust God that he can do all that with our past, present, and future sin, and then we wake up worrying if God can handle what we're dealing with today. That makes no sense, right? If God is big enough to handle the eternal things, he can surely take care of the temporary things. We just gotta trust him, even when life is unpredictable. And the preacher, Solomon, he's got all the stuff in the world. He's got all the world has to offer, but he still can't figure out the meaning of life until he gets to the end of Ecclesiastes and understands that it's just in fearing God, understanding who God is and living his life above the sun and what really matters most, all the things that are eternal in perspective. And I lived my life in this church for a long time, focused on temporary things. I want to play baseball at Cary. I want to be a doctor one day. And I'll never forget the day I walked in and told my parents, hey, by the way, uh, after graduating with a 4.0 at William Carey and pre-med, I'm going into the ministry. They were proud about that decision, let me tell you. But that's what God called me to do when I finally said, God, I'll just give my whole life to you. And back there on December 20th, 1992, I gave God all of my life See, I wanted him to be my savior, but I still wanted to lead my life, and you can't have it both ways. And it took me till I was 22 years of age to understand that when you surrender all, that means all. you got to trust God with the details of life. And life has been unpredictable. There have been times I said, God, are, are you sure you want me doing this? Is this what you called me to do? And time and time again, through the unpredictable times of life, God has come through for me and said, just keep on keeping on. I will show you each step of the way. He said, Ray, you're so crazy sometimes. If I show you the big picture, you'll mess it up. So I'm just going to give you enough for the next day. And I'll give you breath for this day. And if you just trust me, and i wake you up tomorrow with breath to breathe and life to live, you live that day for me too. And just keep on being what I called you to be. And it's going to be unpredictable. But just keep trusting me through it all. So life is unpredictable. Number two, death is inescapable unless we hear the trumpet. Unless we're here when he comes back. One out of one person in this room is going to die. And everybody said, that's encouraging. But listen to what he says, verse 2. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone. Whether righteous or wicked, he's going to give six Comparisons here, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It was Woody Allen who said one time, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, we're going to be there when it happens. But life and death, remember, are in the hands of God in verse 1, but we all have a destiny with death. We all need to be prepared to die. I used to say, live every single day like it's your last, and one day you'll be right. But I realize you can't say that to people because they'll quit going to work. I mean, if we believed this was our last day, man, we'd be telling somebody about Jesus, right? Or we'd skip work. I've come to realize that while we should live every single day like it's our last spiritually, we need to live every single day like God has numbered our days, And that one day we're going to step out of this thing called life and we're going to step into eternity because death is is inescapable for anybody on the planet. In fact, I was looking at these tombstones that are the craziest tombstones I've ever heard of. One is Mel Blanc's, 1908 to 1989. He's the creator of the cartoon characters Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. And on his... Grave marker, it says, man of a thousand voices, beloved husband and father. And across the top of his tombstone, it says, that's all, folks. No, it's not. That's not all, folks. Merv Griffin, his marker says, July 6, 1925 to August 12, 2007. (laughs) Underneath it, it says, in quotes, I will not be right back after this message. so how do you respond to death? I want to give you three responses to the fear of death. Three responses that Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 3 through 9. And there are three responses that everybody in the room has when you think about death. The first one is this, you just want to escape it. It's not like it's not going to come. Let's just think about something else and let's don't think about death and let's just try to escape it. Look at verse 3. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. You know, people will do almost anything but repent in order to escape the reality of death. They'll try to drink their way into not thinking about it. They'll try to drug their way about not thinking about it. They'll try to hobby their way into not thinking about it. I mean, we live in a society now where if you can get people to get off their phone long enough to see the fact that we're all going to leave this earth one day and realize that all this stuff that we spend so much time on doesn't really matter. What matters is what goes with us into eternity. What matters is our relationship with Jesus Christ, but we just live life like there's not going to be eternity somewhere. We sing, I'm standing on the promises, and we're just sitting on the premises. We, we sing, I surrender all, and we really just surrender some. And we, we say this with our lips, but we don't live it with our lives, and we just try to escape this thing called death. And then some people, number two, they just try to endure it. Let's just endure this thing called life. And look at verse four. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. I love that proverb. You know, you're not going to go over to the zoo next door and even find a dog exhibit. Closest thing you got is a wolf and a hyena. And you don't see a crowd of people standing in front of that cage. They're all where? They want to see the lion, the king of the jungle, right? Now, it's going to be different, though, if that lion's dead. Ain't nobody going to go look at that cage then. Nobody wants to watch a dead lion. And so what Solomon is saying, he said, it's better to be a live dog. They, they thought dogs were the lowest. In fact, when David came out to fight Goliath, Goliath said, did you send some dog out to fight me? There was nothing in biblical times lower than a dog, and I love my dog. His name is Bama. So, all you dog lovers, right? I pastored in Alabama for 15 years, and so me and Brother Scott, we have that one thing in common too. So, don't throw anything at me, right? So, I love dogs, but he says it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Translation If you're living, you still got hope. I mean, once you die, you don't get a do-over. Once you die, you don't get to say, I should have trusted Jesus Christ. Once you die, you don't get to say, I-, I wish I'd have made that decision when God put it on my heart. I wish I wouldn't have came to church, but really came to Christ. I wish I hadn't have played through this thing called the Christian life. I wish I'd have been serious about it. I wish Jesus would have been the most important thing to me in the world. I wish my next breath was because Jesus gave me life and I realized it while I lived this thing called life on earth. So if you're still breathing today, which y'all look like you are so far, There's hope. There's hope. It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Verse 5, the living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. Again, we don't get a do-over. It's interesting Verse 4 goes, There is hope only for the living. But remember what Brother Scott preached in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1? Just a few weeks ago? I watched it online. That verse says this the same writer, Solomon, says, The day of your death is better than the day of your birth. And right here he says, There is hope only for the living. You see, Solomon is struggling. Solomon is wrestling. That's why these are wisdom literature. You can't take a a verse out of Ecclesiastes and apply it straight to your life always because this preacher, he's struggling and trying to figure out life. He's trying to find the meaning behind it all and he gets these points in Ecclesiastes 3. In the last chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, he gets it right, but in the middle, he's struggling. And we can learn so much about his struggle Because he's right, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth if you know Jesus. If you've got everything right in perspective over the sun and haven't wasted your life under the sun. Right now, I'm teaching through the I Am statements of Jesus. Out of John chapter 7. At Hasbro Community Church, we're doing Bible studies through them. And I started off with the Tetragrammaton the four Hebrew letters, the name of God in Exodus 3, verse 15, yod heh wah And I don't know if you know this, but it, just pull it up. In the last four weeks, people have been talking about it in Jerusalem on the eastern wall, right across from the Mount of Olives. You know, Scripture tells us in the Old Testament that Jesus is going to come, he's going to put a foot on the Mount of Olives, and the mountains are going to dissipate in between, and he's going to enter in through the eastern gate when he comes. And so on the wall now... Way up high, where you know nobody did it, nobody can touch it. Way up high, grass is growing on that wall, and it's spelling out yod Hey wah and the other hay's not there yet. It's like he's writing his name on the wall. There's a YouTube, and look it up. Say, like, Brother Ray, you really believe that's his name being written on the wall? Whether he's writing it on the wall or not, he's coming back. Yahweh, yod heh that name means he's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And he made a covenant with Moses, he kept it. Every promise he's ever made in Scripture, he kept it. And what I've realized as I've gone through these I Am statements is something that I've never seen before, but there's this word that keeps coming up in every single one but the last one. It's the word Life. Life. Listen to it. John 6, 35, he said, I'm the bread of life. John 8, verse 12, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, verse 7 and verse 9, I am the door for the sheep. The next verse, he said, I've come to give you life, John 10, 10, and life more abundantly. Right after that, verse 11 of John 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life, for my sheep. John 11:25, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, wouldn't resurrection be enough? No, he's life too. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Then you get to John 15, 5, the only one that doesn't have the word life in it. I am the vine, you're the branches. I am the vine, my father is the gardener but everything about John 15 is being connected to Jesus Christ for life. What is he saying? He's saying, while you're living, Jesus is life. He's the only reason for being here. He's the only reason we showed up this morning. He's the only reason we get to even leave this place and walk out of it hopefully in a little bit. He's the only reason we're still breathing when other people are dying. We got breath to breathe, praise his name. Live life to his glory while we still have this life to live. He's not going to just give us resurrection power one day. He's resurrection power today. And he's the reason you and I even exist. He's life. And so what he's saying here is in verse four is there's hope only for the living. While there is life, there's hope. And I love this. The third response to the fear of death. Escape it, endure it. And this is the third response. Enjoy. Life while we're headed to death. In fact, look at verse seven. So go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. One translation says wear white clothes. In biblical times, it's so hot in that culture that white was not only the clothing of choice to keep you cool, but when you wanted to dress up and go to a party, you wore white still that way and you go to third world countries and they they come to church, they're gonna wear their best and almost always it's white. And so he says, man, dress up and put a splash of cologne on, man. Smell good. Have fun. Have a blast while it lasts. Verse nine, live happily with a woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. Now that's a whole different message because Solomon had more than one wife. I'll let Brother Scott preach on that when he gets back. but I believe it means live happily with the wife that you've chosen. God created marriage. It's supposed to be good. Enjoy your time together. Don't get so worried about the circumstances that you miss the meaning that God has for you to live this thing called life. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toll. Now, why is this so important? Because many Christians live as if it's a sin to enjoy life. In fact, it was Howard Hendricks who said that the faces of most Christians would make a great cover for the book of Lamentations. I mean, too often Christians today equate fun with sin and misery with righteousness. That's just the way we've been distracted in our culture. Did you know that the word Eden in the Garden of Eden, you know what Eden means? Delight. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Delight. Delight then he says, I've given you all this for your what? For your pleasure, except this one tree, don't touch it. But this is all for your delight. I couldn't help but think of it. It's a long time ago, but I was studying last night, and I pulled up on my phone while everybody was asleep, the Starlin Vocal Band 1976 Afternoon Delight. And I just thought about Adam and Eve before the fall, walking around enjoying everything that God created. And the fall happened. Now we all come into this world with this sin nature. But you know, all of life, God is tr- trying to recreate us into what He originally created us to be. He's trying to restore us to a right relationship with God. And He wants us to enjoy this thing called life. Christians ought to have more fun than anybody else because we ought to have a peace that passes all understanding because we have a relationship with the Prince of Peace and we know where we're going. The worst thing that can happen to a believer is us to die and see Jesus face to face. And we live so many times like we're more worried than the world is. You know what happened when when COVID hit? The first thing that happened is a bunch of people on social media, on churches, jumped on and started talking about, oh, no, what are we going to do? And I'm glad I wasn't a senior pastor during this time. Oh, my goodness. There was a group of people that said, hey, you shouldn't be meeting. People are going to get sick and die. Don't meet, don't meet. Then you had another group saying, "That's oh, the government, they're trying to put a chip in you with the vaccine. All this, I mean, if you're a pastor, no matter which way you went, there was a group of people who are going to be upset. When we had an opportunity during this time to show the world that while there is a pandemic, there is a healer and there's a God who restores and there's a God that we can put our faith in and God's still in control, we worried just as much as the world did like we were afraid to leave this earth and see Jesus face to face. And we have an opportunity today to show the world that there's more to life than what we're living. And we can't wait to get to the next one because he is the resurrection and the life. He does make a difference today. He is Lord and Savior and King. He does matter. He's more than just a, a thing we come to on Sunday morning. I love your song. I love your song about... We come so many times and we just do this thing called church, but we're in his presence. Jesus, you brought Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit with you when you came into this room. I didn't get anything out of worship today. Well, maybe you should have brought more Jesus with you in here. I mean, when we all leave here, it's just walls and pews. When the first person comes in that's a believer, He's here and we're three or more together, we know he's here. We don't have to invite his presence. We don't have to ask him to come in. We just have to acknowledge he's already here. God, this is about you. This is not about us. This is not about us getting a sermon with three points. This is not about us getting a song we like sung. God, this is about you, and I want to worship you today, and you've given me this day to enjoy. You made Sabbath for us to worship you. And so enjoy this thing called life. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, everything God created is good. Psalm 16.11, in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. In God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But how are you approaching your death? It's coming one day. Dale Moody is one of my favorite revivalists. As I studied the life of Dale Moody, I obviously studied his death, December 22nd, 1899. He had his family around him in his home in Northfield, Massachusetts. He had overweight. He is dying of fatty degeneration of the heart. And while his family's around him, he, he's barely conscious. He says these words to his family, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. He's gonna die later that night. His son, Will, is sitting next to him, and he said, Dad, you're just dreaming. To which D.L. Moody responded, This is no dream, Will. It's beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it's sweet. God is calling me, and I must go. The family gathered around him, and he said these words to them, This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to it for years. Then they said his face lit up, and he said, Dwight, Irene, I see the children's faces. And Dwight and Irene were his recently deceased grandchildren. He saw their faces, and he told his family that he saw them. He closed his eyes, and he appeared like he had passed away. They thought he was gone, and then he spoke again. No pain, no valley. If this is death, it's not bad at all. It's sweet. A little later, he raised himself up on an elbow in his bed, and he said these words, what does all this mean? What are all you doing here? And they thought he was hallucinating. And his wife tried to explain to him that, oh, you're not well. But Dwight L. Moody responded, no, this is very strange. I've been beyond the gates of death to the very portals of heaven. Here I am back again? It's very strange. Reminds me of Lazarus. I mean, when Lazarus came forth, everybody said, that's great. Not for Lazarus. I'm in heaven. Oh, I'm back bound up in front of a bunch of people coming out of a tomb. But D.L. Moody, he was at the portals of heaven, and now he sees his family again. And to everybody's shock, he said this, I'm not at all sure, but God may perform a miracle and raise me back up. I'm going to get up and I go sit in my chair. And if God wants to heal me by a miracle, all right. If not, I can meet death in my chair just as well as in this bed. And his family watched D.L. Moody get up and go to a chair Over on the other side of the room and sit down, and he sat there for several minutes and then he got tired and got up and went and laid back down again. And he closed his eyes and he entered to the presence of the King of Kings. Winston Churchill, he arranged his own funeral. That's what I'm going to do. My wife, she said, Who's going to preach your funeral? I said, I am. She goes, What? I said, I am. We got video today. I'm going to video my funeral. So when somebody comes into my funeral, the first thing you're going to see after you celebrate and worship is I'm going to come on the screen and say, if you're watching this video, I'm with Jesus. But Winston Churchill, he, he planned his own funeral. It was a stately funeral at St. Paul's Cathedral. He had all this impressive liturgy. And at the, as it got to the benediction, he had arranged for a bugler to get up on one side of the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, and he, that bugler started playing taps. You know the universal signal that the day is over, and everybody thought that when taps was over, that the funeral would be over. But Winston Churchill had already arranged that when taps was finished, another bugler on the other side started playing reveille. Reveille is a signal of a new day beginning. It was Churchill's way of communicating that while we say good night here, it's good morning up there. While we see death down here is, oh, no, God sees it up there as welcome home. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. See, we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. And Solomon, he's trying to figure all this out. And you're never going to figure all this out to get to heaven and see Jesus face to face. The devil's always going to distract you and say, is it worth it? Does this really matter? Are you really going to live for Jesus? You just keep pushing away the distractions and you keep living for Jesus day by day. Enjoy the life he's given you because one day you're going to see Jesus and one day you're going to want to hear him say, well done. Listen to me, church. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not going to say, well done, if you don't do it well. He's not going to say, good and faithful servant, if you're not good and you're not faithful and you don't serve. He's not going to say anything to make you feel better that day. He's going to speak the truth into your life. He's never said in Scripture, well said. He said, well done. I don't want to just say it right. I want to live it right. I don't want just to give the right answer. I want to know he is the answer. And so you got to see this. Number three, God is undeniable. He's undeniable. Life is unpredictable. Death is inescapable. But God is undeniable. Look at verse 10. Whatever you do, do well. I mean, why you still got breath to breathe? And then look at this progression. For when you go to the grave, there'll be no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom. Work, planning, knowledge, Wisdom, work is ability to initiate, to persevere, and accomplish goals. Men and women are, are made by Creator God to envision, to plan, and to do. And so, work and planning. Then all you know about God, and then the wisdom is how you apply that to your life. Reminds me of what Paul said in Colossians three twenty three: Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. I mean, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Whatever you do while you still got breath to breathe, live because God is all around us. He's undeniable. And one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to be used to bowing here before I bow then. In fact, in order to put all this together, you have to get outside of Ecclesiastes 9. And you got to hear the two bookends of the book of Ecclesiastes Because Solomon, even though he wrestled with all of this, he had it figured out at the beginning and he had it figured out at the end. So I'll take you to Ecclesiastes 3 and then to Ecclesiastes 12. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Why do we wrestle with this? Because God made us to know there's more than just this. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We know the day we're born, and they'll they'll print one day the day we die, but we don't understand the dash in between. But God does. And then verse 14, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. But notice this next phrase, the last part of verse 14. God's purpose is that people should fear him. I'm telling you, what we've lost in our country today is a reverent fear of God. The sad thing is that if we had some dignitary come in today to speak, we would approach this day differently, but we got the king of kings and lord of lords right here in our midst. And sometimes we take this reverent awe of God, and we treat God with a flippant attitude and, a, and just a complacency. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Verse 15, what is happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. I mean, this thing's called life. Remember, it wouldn't be so hard if it wasn't so daily. But God said eternity in the hearts of men, and the purpose of all this is so we'll learn to fear him And then all the way to Ecclesiastes 12, he's going to bookend this. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Did you see it? Ecclesiastes 3, 14, God's purpose is that people should fear him. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, fear God and obey his commandments for this is everyone's duty. It's just all about how we think of Jesus, God's son, over this thing called life. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? I hope it's Jesus. God will judge us, verse 14, for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Just like God came walking in the cool of Adam and Eve's day. One day, he's going to come walk in the cool of our day. He's going to come into the garden of delight that we live in. And we're going to have to be judged according to everything that we said, good or bad. So what do you do? You live every single day in a reverent fear of God, in a reverent worship of God, a reverent awe of God. And the wisdom literature is full of this. Proverbs 1.7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, the New Living Translation says. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. This morning, just how God works things out because of the hurricane coming through, we delayed, we missed service a couple weeks ago like many churches did. And so they pushed back our study on the I Am Statements of Jesus over at Hasbro Community Church. And I taught one this morning and came straight over here. And the one for this morning is, I'm the resurrection and the life. I didn't even look to see what one was coming up. When Scott asked me to preach, and I put this already in the closing verses of the message for today, it's John 11, verse 25 and 26. Because when I thought about Solomon saying, look, we all have this destiny with death. We've all got a date with this thing called death. And nobody wants to think about it, but we need to think about it so we'll be prepared to walk out of this life and step into eternity with Jesus. And I love this. Martha comes and Mary comes and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Lazarus would not be dead, God, if you just showed up on time. Have you ever felt that way? God, if you would just do things like I want you to do things, then everything would be good. And God finally teaches you that his timing is much better than yours. He's always right on time. So he waits to the fourth day. He's been dead four days. Why? Because in biblical times, they thought that the the body and soul separated after on the fourth day. And that was an error in their thinking, error in the way they lived, because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But Jesus knew the way they lived. He knew their thoughts, so he waited purposely to the fourth day. Say, oh, y'all say it separates? Let me show you that I am the resurrection and the life. I'll wait four days. And it's interesting, if you read John chapter 11, and read that account, it says he was greatly disturbed and troubled twice. And then he, the verse that all of you memorized first growing up in church, John 11:35, 35, Jesus wept, because it's the shortest verse. What was he weeping over? If he knew he was going to raise Lazarus back up from the dead, why is he crying? What frustrated him? Mary and Martha not getting it. Him telling them that I am the resurrection and life, and them saying, We know you're the Christ. I didn't say that. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. This is not a Sunday school answer. This is not every answer is Jesus. No, I am the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? It's right there in the text. He told her, I am the resurrection life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Brother Ray, that doesn't make any sense. How are you going to live after you die? Because Jesus gives resurrection power, and your soul and your spirit are never going to die. They're eternal. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. Verse 26, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I and mean, you put your name there. I mean, do you believe that? Not do you have the right answer for the question, do you live like you believe this? Is he resurrection power? Is he your life today? Do you have life in Jesus Christ? You may be like me and you're sitting out there today and you might have been baptized, you may have walked this aisle, but you still may be lost. I mean, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, I knew in my spirit that I was just religious. I knew I had all the right answers, but I didn't know the way, the truth, and the life. I would go days without praying, days without reading the Bible, and it didn't bother me. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't wait to get to his word where he speaks to you. You can't wait to get on your face and get to talk to him and be still and know that he's God. He's the only thing that matters. But when people are playing church, they just add Jesus to all their busy schedule. And if I've got time after I do everything I want to do, then I'll spend some time with Jesus. One pastor said it well. He said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I realized that after being in two places Saturday night that I shouldn't have been. And I walked in church and I had this conviction of the Holy Spirit all over me. My mom and dad were sitting in the middle section. And I sat over there so they couldn't smell anything. Man, I had this Holy Spirit conviction that everybody in the room in this church building knew where I'd been the night before. It's called the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. And I bowed my head and, and tears in my eyes thinking about all the time I'd played church. And I'm so glad, sitting right back there, that God got a hold of my heart and helped me get it right before I step out into eternity. I'll share this story and I'll close. His name was Kevin Hall. I was pastoring Providence Baptist Church at the time in Hasbro, Mississippi, just on the other side on Eatonville Road, 1180 Eatonville Road to be exact. Right up from the church, if you're leaving Providence Baptist Church and going up the hill about 100 yards from the sanctuary, there's a little creek with a little bridge there that you cross over. Creek isn't very wide, probably wide as this platform area. It was Father's Day, June 16, 2002. Kevin had went to spend the night with his best friend, Matt Allen, and his parents thought he was over there spending the night, and we had discipleship training started at 5, and as discipleship training started, rain started falling that day on Father's Day of 2002. Then we had 6 o'clock worship, and we're praising God, and it had rained pretty hard during the service, and nobody knew what was happening 100 yards from the church. See, Monday morning, Kevin's parents Got a call from Kevin's boss. He didn't show up for work on Monday. So Bill and Kay Hall, they they called Matt and said, hey, where's where's Kevin? He didn't show up for work. He spent the night with you. And Matt said, no, he, he didn't spend the night with me. He left my house a little before five, and he was going back to see his daddy Bill for Father's Day. So he didn't spend the night. And see, Province Baptist Church was right between Matt's house and Kevin's house. And so he had drove right by the church going home. So about 10 o'clock Monday morning when they found out he didn't show up for work, his mom, Kay, and his sister, Andrew, they they got in a car and, and they backtracked from Matt's house back to their house. And as they're coming back towards the church, they see skid marks. I was at Forest General Hospital making a visit. And I get this call. So we, we found Kevin. He, he's, it looks like he slid off the road last night, a little after five. And his truck went into the ditch right there by the sanctuary. And we're waiting until you get there to pull him out. So I pull up on Eatonville Road. Cars are lining both sides of the road. And there's a, a wrecker I already hooked up to Kevin's green Nissan pickup. All he could see was the top of the truck in the water. And they pulled him out, and all they found was a bump on his chin. He just slid off the road in the rain, hit the steering wheel, knocked him unconscious, and he died in four foot of water. And I immediately thought about the two encounters I had with Kevin as his youth pastor. One was sitting on the curb Right outside the church on the cemetery side, and I remember one day, Kevin, with tears in his eyes, telling me he needed to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not Just me and him were there, and I heard him pray, and I heard him confess his sin. I heard him, with tears, cry and ask Jesus Christ to save his soul. A couple months after he made that decision, he wanted to meet with me after church on Wednesday night outside the student building. With tears in his eyes, we sat out there and talked for hours, and he said he really wanted to be the man of God that God called him to be. And I thought, while well, we're worshiping on Sunday, while we're singing songs, while we're praising God, unknowns to us, within earshot of our worship, somebody had stepped out into eternity and we didn't even know it. You see, Bill and man, he had a close relationship with Kevin. Bill and Kay still deal with grief every single day, even since that day. And I'm telling you that on that day, June 16, 2002, Kevin went to see his father on Father's Day, and he went to see his father on Father's Day. The absent of the body is present with the Lord. And I preached that funeral knowing that with my relationship with Kevin and knowing the decision he made, that he stepped out into eternity, and it was 11 days from his 18th birthday. But I'm telling you today, he's better off than anybody in the room. Life is unpredictable. Death is inescapable, but God is undeniable. You can go from life without real purpose to a life full of resurrection power. You can go from meaningless to miraculous. You can go from vanity to victory. You may be one step away from salvation today, but please hear this. If you don't know Jesus, please quit playing church and come to Christ. I heard a preacher say one time, I don't beg people to come to Jesus, and I beg them. Because there is an eternity, and there's a place called hell, and I don't want anybody to spend eternity separated from Jesus. And this whole book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has everything that you and I would say, that would be great, but he's trying to figure out the only thing that really matters, and that's a relationship with God. And if you walk through this thing called life, and you get everything else figured out, Let's just say you're smarter than anybody who ever lived, but you don't get the right thing figured out, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've missed it. All that other stuff won't matter one day. And this life that you live, whether it's 18 years or whether it's 88 years, it's just a scratch on the line of eternity. But what you do with this little scratch, the decision you make for Jesus Christ while you live this thing called life determines where you're going to spend forever. And so if there's ever a time in our country, it's now that we live this thing called life with a sense of urgency. That we need to be prepared to step out into eternity. So if you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe maybe you asked Jesus Christ to save you before the service ever started. Or maybe God's convicting you right now in your heart that you need Jesus. There are going to be counselors up front that you can pray with. They'll take you where they can spend some time making sure you understand that decision. Maybe your decision today is to say, Jesus, help me live like you're coming back and I'm leaving this earth one day. Help me to be ready because the day of my death is better than the day of my birth. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, do it when I close this prayer. God, thank you for the privilege of preaching in this sanctuary today that you have brought me through all kinds of situations and circumstances in life, from playing church to finding you as my Christ, to giving me hope after mistakes. Thank you. I, I know it's just a building, but it's been a special, special place. And maybe, just maybe today, somebody in this room can find this place special because they can meet with you in this place today for the very first time this could be the day of their salvation and God they're one moment away from you changing everything in their life forgiving their sin giving them reason to live making this life mean something and so God I pray during this time that lost people be saved Revival will come to your church and righteousness will come back to your nation. And we will be obedient to your word. We will live, God, with a a fear, a reverent fear of who you are. Knowing, God, that you're the resurrection and the life. The next breath we've got is only because you give it. God, help us to live with urgency the life you've called us to. There are people we know that don't know you. And there's so many people, God, in these last two years, so many people stepping out into eternity. So help us to be ready for the most important appointment we've all got. It's appointed man once to die and then to face the judgment. And while nobody wants to think about it, some people just want to endure it, You've called us to enjoy this thing called life. And the only way we can enjoy it to its fullest is have the peace that we're saved and we're one of your children. And so would you do what only you can do today, God? Would you save a soul? Would you revive a heart? Would you renew a right spirit within us? And God, may we leave this place when all is said and done. And may we apply this message, when we be doers of your word and not just hearers only. I pray you receive all the glory and honor for everything that takes place for only you're worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?